ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Kids can go with me. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but Miss Carol is not going to sing this morning. Uh, she has, uh, like a lot of other folks, she's been affected by the pollen, I suppose, and no voice today. So, uh, and, uh, so no special music today other than the great music we've already had. Amen. Yeah. Tremendous. Uh, it's just wonderful. All right. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. If you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be noting the first three verses. And while you're turning there, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, uh, let me say that I've, we sent out text to get help for Friday and Saturday, and apparently some of them didn't go through. So you were not excluded from the work. <laughs> uh, I can assure you. Uh, you were not excluded, it just the message didn't go out correctly. Uh, my secretary was not here when that started, and she's the one that does all that for me. So, uh, But we're thankful for all that you do anyway. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. We're going to speak today about uh, this, this idea of a godly child, the godly child. Uh, and, and I've added, uh, and sibling, and, and I'll explain that very briefly in a moment. Uh, as we are continuing on in this series of 3D Christianity, I hope uh, that it's become apparent. It, it, it has to me, uh, and, and wasn't even a, an, a, the original intent of this series, but I hope that it has become apparent to you that our faith and belief and practice should impact and influence every aspect of life from the cradle to the grave. And uh, if, if we would do that, and of course that theme is going to be redundant because uh, next week we're going to look at grandparents and elder mentors, and uh, moving forward we're going to look at career, we're going to look at uh, how, you impact, how you embrace that and how all those things affect the church, affect the church. and so I hope that it's become uh, pretty apparent. Today we're still looking at this idea of the connections within the castle, so to speak, those relationships within the family, and those relationships that are played out in a public manner, and they are either to the good and or to the bad of society. As we've stated all along, the family is the building block of society. Uh, it is the, the building block of the church, in fact. It's the oldest institution in the scriptures, and so it is on the front line of attack all of the time. Everything that society seeks to do, it seeks to do so by uh, uh, remodeling at, at a minimum the family. They would like to do away with the concept altogether, and, uh, and they are trying very diligently to do so. And so we're looking at the way the family and the relations in the family affect the society and the, the family itself and the church. And last week, of course, we looked at parents, and this week we're going to take a little closer look at uh, how the, a godly child is to uh, comport themselves. And then moving forward, as I said, we'll look at grandparents. I suppose probably the more difficult aspect of this concept of a godly child is determining what, or more appropriately, who is a child. At what time, do, at what point in life does that relationship begin to shift and uh, 
when does a child become an adult? What if anything uh, happens concerning those child-oriented responsibilities? And along with uh, that being someone's child, most of us or many of us are somebody's, someone's sibling as well. And how are those responsibilities in Christ? And I've only got one phrase to say about that. Uh, I'm the youngest of eight. Took my parents a long time to get it right. <laughs> and uh, finally, November 16th, 1968, stars aligned. Uh, but no, uh, in, on a serious note, an adult sibling, it's, it's very similar, in my opinion, to your Christian responsibility in the world. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think that an adult sibling ought to encourage good out of their other siblings. It should never discourage good. should never encourage immorality. That's, that's all I have to say about that because I think it lines up with common sense and regular order in the Scripture. You'll notice if you look around, uh, there's not a lot of children, quote-unquote, in here this morning. There's more in here today than typical. Normally they are in children's church or preschool church or nursery. But there are many sons and daughters in here, right? We all are. We're someone's son or daughter. Whether living or not, someone brought us into this world and if the folks that brought you into this world are anything like mine, they let you know on several occasions that they could take you out. Right? That's how it is. And so we're all at some point a child. We're all at someone's offspring, someone's child. And so that's where that question comes in. When do we shift from child-oriented behaviors to adult-oriented behaviors. And I think in this passage that what we see is that the responsibilities change, but I don't believe that the responsibilities of being a godly child ever dissipate. I think that they are something that goes with us from day one until day final, that we are in a child relationship with someone. And I'll try to explain that a little better. If we consider... The original command in Exodus 20:12, that is, of course, the Ten Commandments there, first time they appear in Exodus chapter 20. And you'll know that of those Ten Commandments, and I'm, not, I'm sure you've heard this, of those Ten Commandments, the first four are Godward. They have to do with how man reacts to God. The latter six are manward. They have to do with how we interact with one another. That's why Christ was able to say, that the two great commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two hang all of the commandments because they were divided into two areas. And when we look at them, if we were to pay close attention, the, just in a, in a uh, paraphrased format, the first uh, four, no other gods before me, no idols or images, Honor his name, you shall not take his name in vain, and then observe the Sabbath. The next commandment, the fifth commandment, the first one that deals with how we are to interact with one another at a manward level is to honor your father and your mother. It's the first order of business 
for the follower, the believer, and that one who is seeking to live by God's word. It's the first commandment. That's very interesting, isn't it? That it, that it occupies, it comes before murder. It comes before adultery. It comes before lying. It comes before stealing. It's the very first thing that the Lord said. Hey, when you get your relationship right with me, make sure as you approach your earthly relationships that the first order of business is to honor your father and your mother. I think that puts it pretty high in the order of responsibilities. And, and, and again, there's a difference between obey and honor. And honor is a very interesting uh, term. It has a very interesting meaning, which we'll discuss in a moment. But for now, I want to say this, and, and I hope this doesn't sound silly. To honor your parents means more than obey your parents. But it certainly doesn't mean less than obey your parents. You hear me? There are things that we can do as adults that would be uh, uh, confined to honor, but they, they would not rule out obedience. That is part of the package. I want you to notice in our passage, if you will stand with me, we're going to read here and then we'll ask the Lord to bless the reading of the word. You're standing in reverence of the word. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. This is the passage we want to consider this morning. Would you pray with me? Ask the Lord to speak to you. Ask him to impact you today with the word. Illumine for you this passage, so that you might walk, walk according to it. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for this time to be together. Lord, we're so grateful for the eternally settled word of God. Father, we're thankful for the consistency of the word of God. And God, I pray today as we look through this passage and as we consider this concept, Lord, I, God, I pray that you would just reach down in our hearts and point us and direct us correctly. Illumine for us this passage. Father, I pray that you'll work through your blessed Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to lead us. God, we want you to challenge us with this passage. We want you to charge us where we're guilty, convict us. And then, Lord, we're asking that you convert us, that you touch us, that we walk differently when we leave today. Lord, I pray that you would do a work. And, Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's never accepted Christ as their Savior. They've never received that free gift of salvation. They've never repented and believed the gospel. God, I pray that they would do that before they leave today because all of these behaviors are impossible without that. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We look at this passage with the Apostle Paul. He has spent a, a portion of chapter 5 uh, speaking about the, the husband and wife relationship and the order of the home. He has talked about how the home, uh, the marriage relationship reflects or, or represents uh, 
uh, Christ and the church, and it is given for us to understand that. And then he, he immediately rolls into chapter 6, and his very first command is, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so what I want you to notice there is that the command begins with obedience. If we look at that in clauses, children, obey your parents. That's the command. In, in throughout the scriptures, if we look for comparable or threaded uh, passages, we would see Proverbs 6:20, uh, one of many, "My father or my son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake the law of, forsake not the law of thy mother." Proverbs 23:22, "Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, that gave thee life, that's what that means, that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old." Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3, a sister passage to this, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So what we have is a command uh, whose implications are inescapable. It means exactly what it means. It's not interpretive. It's not ambiguous. It is not abstract. It is direct. It is clear. It is timeless. It's not cultural. It's not archaic. It is not antiquated. It is rather a command that is typically inarguable. What is the children's first order of responsibility? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the statement. Children, obey your parents. And so what we understand is that, that the, one, uh, the ones, the two people whom God gave you unto have the responsibility for you and have a greater desire to see you reach not only maturity, but a usable and profitable maturity. Maturity, I used to say it, I uh, hope my children are contributing members to society. Did you ever hear that? And this scenario, that concept of, of raising you and bringing you to maturity and presenting you uh, as a, a profitable member of society has a higher success rate within the children who obey their parents. That's just straight fact. It's not culturally popular, but it's just complete straight fact. It's also bibliocentric. By that I mean... And, 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 and uh, what I'm trying to say is that it occurs often within the scriptures. Not exactly in those words. But when we think about that, that theme or that concept, it appears over and over and over in the scriptures. Not only in those concepts and themes, but in, in uh, stories, in parables. It is displayed throughout the scripture that children are to obey their parents. Do you realize that, uh, and, and I'm sure that m many of you know this, there are 1,189 chapters in the Scripture. That's what there are. Uh, do you know that if that mention, that example, or that scenario only appeared in 50 of those chapters, it approaches 5% of the whole body of work. And can I tell you something? I'm relatively confident it's way more than 50 you could, put, you could put 25 or 30 up just like that. You could do just a simple word search, word search, scriptural word search on children's relationship to parents and it populates an entire page. It is a great part of the body of work, that child-parent relationship. Inevitably, 
Somebody is going to say this, and I've had it said to me several times in the past, usually by teenagers. Well, you don't know my parents. And uh, we, we, Carl and I, part of our early ministry, we worked in a youth camp. We worked in that thing for, I don't know, 10 years, maybe longer. Uh, and, you know, it was a summer camp. There'd be 250 to 300 preteens and teens there. And for the most part, we worked in the preteen area the last few years in the teen area. It was pretty common to encounter a child who could not grasp the concept of a loving father. They, they had no earthly uh, they had no earthly relationship that stated to them, this is what a loving father looks like. So when you talked about a loving heavenly father, it was a foreign concept to them. They didn't get it. We would spend a part of the time we had with those kids uh, during that week loving on them in a parental manner, trying to get them to see that this is a parental child relationship wherein we are loving on you and we care about you and this is what God is offering you on an eternal level. And for them to grasp that concept was so difficult. So I'm completely aware of the idea of you don't know my parents. I get that, 100%. But I also think that it's interesting to notice the next portion of the verse. Because just as the command begins with obedience, children obey your parents, the circumstance presupposes relationship in the Lord. That's what it says. Obey your parents in the Lord. If, if we look at this passage in context, Paul is talking to believers and he is talking to them about what is a Christian home and the order of the home as is prescribed by God. And in that context and in that prescription, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So what we see and recognize is that the context dictates that the apostle is speaking to believers and that he is speaking of or in context to Christian families. And that simple clause of in the Lord anchors us back to a relationship that defines character and expectation. That is what we believe should happen in a Christian family. Which means, what does that mean? Well, it means... If you were raised by the Manson family, everybody comprehends who that is, right? Then you might, you may, you could possibly have an excuse. Unfortunately, and I believe that most people, if they're honest with themselves, unfortunately, I was a child at one time, and I've raised two children along with Carla, which means that she's raised three. And this is what we know. We know how unrealistic the perception of a child's view and opinion can be. And so when we, when we begin thinking about this, this idea of when do I obey my parents? When can I not obey my parents? You get into some extremely dicey area. Because as we've already stated, anytime you break the order that God designed for the home, you're exposing the individual that breaks to responsibilities and decisions and situations that they were not built to endure. 
And so if a child at 11 or 12 or 14 uh, or, or whatever the age, they say, generationally speaking, they say that 25 is the new 18. If you have a Gen Z in your family, you would nod yes to that. So at some point, if, your child, if that child decides, I no longer need to obey my parents, I don't believe they're in the Lord, or they say, I'm not in the Lord, I'm not responsible for this Christian concept, I'm going to break out from underneath the idea of obeying my parents. Well, they can do that, but the problem is they're exposed to a whole new level of pressure that they were never meant to be exposed to. They were meant to be under the umbrella of mom, mom and dad, and the Lord in a Christian home. And so when we start thinking about this, this idea of can I or should I not, what we understand is that God's order is that you stay in that place under the obedience to the parents. Irrespective of quality, we see clearly that the outcome is the consequence is righteousness. That's what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the, that's the, the term. The, the idea here, the term right, it means just or justice or right or righteous or innocent or correct. It points to a righteous person, a correct behavior, a just reaction or an innocent response. All of which tells me that regardless, this can be hard for some people to swallow and I get it. But regardless of your parent or parents' character, obedience is the right response and it will earn the right standing before God. The idea that a 8 to 12 year old can determine when they should or should not obey mom and dad is a foreign concept to Christian scriptures. It does not exist in the body of work. And there's some pretty rotten parents in the body of work. This, if my, if my parents, what it means, if my parents are less than righteous and I disobey them, then I may not be guilty of wrong. But if my parents are less than righteous and I obey them, I will be innocent. There's two totally different concepts there. I'm not guilty of wrong or I am innocent. One of those is preferable above the other. If I stay under that and, and I honor, I, I obey my parents, I should say, then I'm, I'm innocent. That means that obedience is right every time, throw the caveat, unless it is in direct opposition to the word of God. It's obedience. Well, my dad is an alcoholic. Well, is he telling you to be an alcoholic or is he telling you to clean your room up and respect your mother? Well, my mother is an addict. Well, is she telling you to be an addict? Is she telling you to rob and steal and cheat and lie to feed her addiction? Because that would be contrary to the will of God. But for her to tell you to clean your room and hush your mouth and eat your food, <laughs> that's not contrary to the will of God. And when you have a child trying to judge the character of the parent and determine whether or not I'm going to agree with them, 
What is that child going to look like as an adult in society? They're then going to be an adult that judges the character of every person around them to determine whether or not they're going to walk in accordance with society. It breaks down the entire order of things if we get away from the simple fact of obey. So that covers the child aspect. And somebody is saying, praise the Lord, this doesn't apply to me. I, I, I disagree with you. But I can get it if you won't move on. So what is the move on? Well, the move on is honor your mother and father. Honor thy father and mother. Let me read it exactly as it is. This is where I think the responsibilities change, but they do not dissipate. Honor and obey are two different things. Uh, if we look at this, this idea here, this word honor, and the context in which it, which it is used... That's a very interesting meaning. It, it speaks literally of heaviness or weightiness. It is meant to embody the character of someone and the efforts that they have exerted in order to achieve that position of honor. However insignificant it seems to others, it is their honor. They have worked and striven to uh, arrive at that place and whatever that is there's a body of work that is possessed of that person in that thing that is called their honor and it is weighty it is heavy it is costly to them that's the idea behind honor so when we consider that we are to honor our fathers and mothers we should understand that we're not trying to establish them as honorable Rather, we are recognizing the honor that they already have and we're seeking to do no harm to it. Do you hear me? We're not making them honorable. We are recognizing that they are honorable. And we don't want to do anything to take away from that honor, whatever it is. You didn't help them earn it. It is what it is. What you're trying to do is not do damage to it. It's their honor. And, and the, the word, it begins to be even a little bit more difficult because honor in this case, when, when you're talking about this culture, certainly the Hebrew culture, but even in this culture that Paul was writing in, when he's talking about the honor of a father and a mother, it has to do with procreation. Their honor is established in this simple truth. God allowed him to plant the seed and her to bring it forth to maturity. They have the honor of being parents that was bestowed upon them by God, not by you. The honor is in the procreative act and the finality of a child being born. Well, what is that? What does that say to us if we think about it that way? Well, it says this. Their honor is not something valued by the world or by success or by accomplishment. The, the honor is in the birth of the child. Whether it's done once or a dozen times, it makes no difference. Their honor is in that child. That child is their honor. You are that honor. So, 
that tells us that your parents don't particularly have to act honorably in order for you to honor them. They are honorable because God gave them the ability to procreate. But as they act in an honorable way and live in an honorable way, they add weight or value to that honor, and we are to recognize that honor. So that gives us, I think, three responsibilities. And this is how this plays out, by the way. Have a person come up to you and say, uh, you know, my parents were awful. Horrendous. They were terrible. Well, you're here. You're standing in front of me, breathing, speaking, clothed, and in your right mind. Do you know what that means? That means that they completed the task of creating you, clothing you, housing you, feeding you, and bringing you to an age of maturity wherein you could determine that they're not worthy of your honor. That's what that means. Now, easy preaching for me. My folks are sitting right there. And uh, they've done a tremendous job as much as the Lord would allow other than our own indwelling shortcomings. They've done their job. But in the end, the parent is to raise that child and bring them to maturity and launch them into the world. That's what he's talking about when he says honor. You're honoring the fact that they did that. How do you honor that? Well, I think that there's a picture of respect, there's a picture of regard, and there's a picture of reverence. And I think it depends on the parent at that time. But the, the individual's goal or responsibility is to honor. So the first idea is respect. It has to do with appreciation. That this is for that person that, that belittles their parents or seeks to dishonor them by telling tales of shocking scenarios of failure. And, and this is where we want to say to them, look, you're here. I mean, it, it may not have been as good as some others. It may not have been all you wanted it to be. It may not have been that. But they didn't feed you to the wolves. They didn't sell you to the Midianites. They didn't throw you in a pit. They didn't abort you. They didn't lock you in a closet. They didn't chain you to the bed. You're here. And so at a very minimum, we ought to understand, especially if we've had the opportunity to, to, to raise our own, we ought to understand, okay, they got that done. That's the minimum. I made the comment a moment ago that it was eight of us. And uh, my siblings will tell you that I was raised by a different set of parents than them, <laughs> which is all right. Uh, and the reason is because there was eight of us, and I was youngest by six years. So guess what? By the time I was 12, I was the only child. And so it wasn't divided eight ways anymore. Uh, but this is, this is what I know. I know just because I was there and I saw it and I've heard the stories. 
At one point in time, my mother and father both worked two jobs. They ran paper routes. They worked a real job, regular job. Uh, you know, we didn't, we, we got things and rations, but we always had clothes. We always had Christmas. We always had everything that everybody else had. We just had an eighth of it. And then I come along and I have two. Barely, barely give them any more than my mom and dad gave eight of us. What did that do in my heart? It increased the honor I had for my mother and father because they did it eight times. At simultaneously. And then, you know, you'll have a, a, someone say, well, well, they didn't do this, this, or that. Well, there was eight of them. Right? There's that idea that the very minimum is we can respect and appreciate the fact that they, they didn't feed us to the wolves. But then there's the idea of regard or assessment or, or value, and that is to understand where your parents came from, to comprehend what they endured or how, they, uh, how that that they endured molded them or scarred them or made them who they were, to see that they were uh, survivors, that they were thrivers, that they were dreamers, that they were achievers. And, and in the end, the, the success level doesn't make any difference what matters is that there was a desire to overcome. That's how we honor that. We see that. We assess that. We recognize that. And we, we pay back to that. That's reasonable. I'm going to honor my mom and dad because they didn't have anything and they accomplished this and they gave me all that I have. So I'm going to try to try to move that along in a way as to not steal any honor from what they accomplished. And then I think there's the idea of reverence and admiration. And I know everybody doesn't get this. I know that all parents don't get it. But to honor them with your life. To recognize that they did their best. And call it enough. And to seek to further the growth, whether it be in accomplishment or in success, but most certainly in spiritual acumen, in spiritual knowledge, in spiritual wisdom. You're sitting in a, in a Baptist church this morning. More importantly, you're sitting in a Bible-believing church this morning. What if you had been born to a family that were Muslim. And you were raised all of your life to believe the Quran and to believe that there's one God, Allah, and, prophet, and his prophet is Muhammad. What if that's what your parents would have raised you in? What if you were raised in an atheistic home? What if you were raised in an agnostic home? But what you look at, what you'll discover if you look back over it is my mom and dad kept me close to the truth. They may not have been perfect in it, but they kept me close to the truth. And because of them keeping me close to the truth, that's part of God's sovereign plan in my life. I can honor that. I can, I can revere that to some extent. I can admire that. And then I can say, okay, 
And this happened in my life. If mom and dad uh, kept me close to the truth, kept me in church, raised me to believe the scriptures, and I am raising my children completely away from the church, completely away from the scriptures, completely away from the truth, the real occurrence in my mind was, if I'm as rotten as I am, what are my kids going to be? That was the impetus for us to get back into church. It's 22 years ago. Kayla was seven and Carter was a baby. He was three it's, or two. He was 22 years ago. What, what would their life be like if I would have just said, well, you know, that doesn't matter. And then we would have just kept on going. How much further away from the truth would my family be? And then their family. And then their family. That's where generational failure comes from. And we watch it again and again in the scriptures. And then we get into this society and, and we have all of these false check boxes that determine whether or not our parents were good and whether or not we need to honor them, whether or not we as children should have obeyed them. And Paul simply says, if you're a child, honor your parent and the Lord because it's right. Or obey your parent and the Lord because it's right. And honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment with life. With the promise of life attached to it. We also see that the covenant proposes reward. There's two, two passages and we won't go there. You know both names. Samson and Absalom. Both of these were young men in the old scriptures. In the Old Testament. Samson, of course, was one of the judges. Absalom was David's son. Both of them were beautiful people. Both of them were strong men. Both of them were leader men. Both of them people followed. Both of them were blessed in mighty ways of God. Both of them had great opportunities to succeed and move their, their, their society closer to the Lord. And both of them disobeyed and dishonored their parents, and both of them died young men. That's the examples that are given. There's more. And we could, we could all argue about those who die too young, but this is the promise that if you honor your father and mother, uh, then thou mayest live long on the earth. Can I tell you that the real reward is eternal? The real reward is eternal. Because if, if you were not born again and spirit-filled, it's going to be very difficult to honor and obey your parents. And if you're here this morning and you're not born again, uh, you're thinking this is all a bunch of hubbaloo. But if you experience the new birth in the indwelling of the Spirit, suddenly... When those scales fall from your eyes and you begin to see truth, you'll recognize the blessings of God in your parents, the blessings of God in your raising, and you'll want to honor them with your life. The real reward in that is eternal. Would you stand with me this morning? Your head's bowed and your eyes are closed. Society will tell you everything opposite of what I've said this morning, probably more clearly than I've said it. 
tell you that you're an individual and you can pick your own way and you can choose your own way and tell you that parenting isn't all that, this or the other. What you have to ask yourself is, how is your home ordered? Have you been to your parents, the child that you should be? Have you honored them? If you're still at home, are you obeying them? If they were awful, terrible in your eyes, have you shared that with the Lord? Come to a place where you said, Lord, at least they raised me alive. At least I survived that. The altar's open this morning. Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we seek to allow our walk in Christ to affect every aspect of our lives. Help us, Lord, to be who you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Would you come this morning? Jesus, King.